what I want to do right now is um, actually just start with a little word of prayer. Uh, this week, I was talking to my wife, and I was like, hey, babe, remember that, that week we had where, like, nothing globally really crazy happened? We were just, like, super chill. Oh, wait, that was, like, three years ago, right? And, uh, and I don't know about you, but there's just a moment this week where I was like, you know, we were kind of starting to, like, at least personally, like, ride the wave of, like, I think maybe COVID's on the chill, you know, a little bit. Kids don't have the masks at school. All right, things are feeling good. And then it's like, oh, sweet, potential World War III. Awesome. Let's just relax into that thought. Um, and it feels, felt um, uh, maybe like a little anxious and a little uneasy. And then I reminded myself of this, um, that I believe that there is a God who's alive and well, and he's actually uh, in control and has power and authority over everything in the world. And so uh, I thought, you know what, why don't we just take a minute today and let's pray for what's going on in Ukraine. Let's pray for what's going on uh, in the world. And um, I'm going to give you uh, about a minute just to pray, and then I'll just close this out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning as, as a church together to do more than just post something online about praying, to actually pray. And so, um, God, we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done and what's going on in Ukraine. Father, I pray that um, for peace, I pray for wisdom, I pray, Father, for the church our fellow brothers and sisters uh, in that country. I pray that you would give them perseverance and courage. I pray that they would be the ones um, that would run towards chaos to bring peace, um, that they would um, love their neighbors as you have loved them. And I pray, God, that, um, that even in this, that you would, um, you would advance your kingdom. And Father, I just pray, um, Father, we, we want to see peace, but the reality is that, that we have these wars because we don't have peace within. And so I pray for the leaders of Russia, uh, Ukraine, Father, or the whole area that, um, that you would do supernaturally what you only you can do to, Father, become king of their hearts. And Father, from that inner peace that comes from you, I pray that they would, they would lead for peace. Um, Father, I pray that we wouldn't uh, forget this week, but continue to lift up our brothers and sisters across the world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. All right. Now let's do more weird stuff. Here's what I want you to do, okay? Actually, that's terrible, right? That we would stop and pray together as a church. We were like, oh, it's weird, right? Uh, we got to recalibrate some things. Here's what I want you guys to do now. I want you to think right now about somebody in your life, the person who made the biggest impact in your life can't be your parent, okay? Think about it right now. Just thinking about the person in your life. They could have been a coach, teacher, neighbor, something. You say, my life was radically impacted because of fill in the blank. Think about it. 
Some of you are funny. Some of you think and you just still stare at me. Some of you go into the, the regular thing that you would do when you think, like, right? There was a few thinkers that were like this, right? All right, you got that person? All right, now tell the person behind you, introduce yourself, and then tell them a little bit about that person. Go. Oh, if you're online, just put their name in the chat. If you're online, put their name in the chat. You just got to know something about somebody that you go to church with. That was, that, was, that was great, okay? Now, that person drastically changed your life, okay? And you just had memories and thoughts right now that came to your brain and you felt all warm and fuzzy and like, yes, that person's awesome, all right? Now, imagine I snap my fingers and they don't exist. You were great. Good emotional response. I like that. I want you to literally feel that sense of pain mixed with the inspiration that you thought. And here's why. Because potentially there's someone telling that story about you. You see, we don't think about legacy all that often because Monday becomes Friday, right? Friday, weeks become months, months becomes years, and we're just trying to grind out our life and figure it out. We don't always stop and, and, and maybe think as much as we should that my life is leaving a legacy, and am I living a life that if it were imitated, somebody somewhere when I'm not around would look back and say, you know whose life made the greatest impact on my life? Fill in your name. And if they didn't exist, my life would be drastically worse. That's the perspective, that's the heart, that's the emotion that I want us to start with as we journey with Paul in the last week of this series and talk about how he lived and left a legacy. Because, I hate to tell you, the end of your story, it goes like this, you die, okay? When none of us get out alive, okay? So there's gonna be a day that you're no longer going to live on this earth, and I don't know if you know this, but you will still exist because your spirit will live eternally. The invitation of Jesus is to accept a connection and a forgiveness and a relationship so that for eternity, you can live in paradise, in heaven with Jesus, right? Which is great. And check this out. Imagine this. Imagine you live your whole life, you die, and then you go to heaven and you actually do meet Jesus. That's gonna be a pretty cool moment. Am I right? And imagine 
talking to Jesus and him asking you, hey, listen, I gave you X amount of years. I gave you that personality, the ability. I gave you the gifts. I gave you everything I gave you in life. I just want to know. And, and, and if you're here, you probably at some point heard the thing that I said where the whole mission that I gave people is to make disciples of all nations, right? Like, and to actually bring people with you. So how many folks did you bring with you? Can you imagine how awkward it'd be to stand with Jesus and be like, uh, maybe they're late. I'm not sure because it looks like nobody. It looks like I just, just made it. And then imagine, imagine what's going to happen or what happened when the apostle Paul showed up. But imagine what would happen if from this day forward you said, I will live my life in a way where if someone imitates my life, they'll learn to imitate Jesus for the rest of your days. And then you die and then you meet Jesus. And he says, how many did you bring? And you turn around and you begin bawling and fall to your knees by the overwhelming, mind-blowing situation of the ripple effect of your life that you had no idea that you discipled that one junior high girl. And then she actually went on to do this and then that and then that and then that. And 40 and 50 years after today, you see a ripple effect of thousands and thousands of people whose lives have been transformed because you said you can imitate my life as I imitate Jesus. Or you can watch a lot of Netflix and just take care of yourself and that is what I would call a waste of life. I remember... About a decade ago, I was down in Lexington, Kentucky. I went to this, this conference for disciples, disciple-making. It was about 200 uh, uh, Christian uh, leaders in the room, and it was great. They started off, they're like, all right, leaders, let's all stand and recite the Great Commission together. And we all stood up, and we're like, oh, I have the Bible memorized, right? And we all said the Great Commission nice and loud and with confidence, and it was cool. And they said, all right, now, guys, now sit down. And they said, now, how many of you at your church right now, wherever you come from, you're confident if we went back there, you know that you have a system and a structure and a plan to help make disciples that make disciples. And there was about, it was got quiet, right? And everybody was kind of like, mm-hmm. and then about a fourth of the leaders were like, mm-hmm. which now we have a problem, right? Because now we only have one fourth of the entire room of people that are leading churches that actually are confident they actually have a system to make disciples that make disciples. And we just quoted Jesus that the reason we're doing this is to make disciples that make disciples. Then they took it a step further. And they said, how many of you, if we went back to your church this Sunday, are confident that if you walked around the church, if we walked around the church, we could find at least one person that knows that you're there, they know that they're your disciple. Like they'd be like, yes, Pastor Darren is discipling me. I'm a disciple of his as we to follow Jesus together. How many of you guys are confident there's somebody that knows that you're discipling them back at your church? And then it got real quiet. And there were two dudes down front that were like, And then he said, leaders, what was the Great Commission again? And at that point, I was ready to do whatever that guy was going to tell us to do because I realized that I'm a pastor and I was completely not obeying the Great Commission whatsoever. And I didn't actually know how to make a disciple that could make a disciple. I just knew how to hang out and have coffee with people and talk about their problems and hopefully help them figure out something about Jesus. And I was 
a pastor. That next year, I got trained on how to make disciples that make disciples. And then sometime after that, I got on an airplane and sat next to Josh Hoosman. And he said he had a vision to plant a church in Carmel, Indiana. He was currently living in Southern California. And I said, Josh, keep praying. This is a really stupid idea. <laughs> but he would not, he would not relent. And from that airplane ride and from that conference, I've been so dedicated to the heart of what Mercy Road's about, about making disciples that make disciples. We, one of the, the, the vehicles that I got trained in over the next uh, you know, year was what we call huddles here at Mercy Road. And it's been one of the greatest, most fulfilling things I've ever done in my life over the past decade that I was able to, I'm, able, I'm now finishing my sixth huddle, huddling and, and discipling guys and training them to make disciples and become disciples that can make disciples. And many of you have been in a huddle and you have not launched one yourself. This is the sermon that hopefully inspires you to do it. Some of you have never been trained in that. And my hope is by the time I get done, you say, I have to learn to make disciples. Here's the deal. That day they said there are three elements of, of disciple making, of, of being a disciple that makes disciples. And, and we're gonna look at how the apostle Paul did this masterfully. But they, it breaks down into this, three words, information, imitation, innovation. Three ways to make disciples that make disciples is information, imitation, innovation. Now, the information side, we do decent with, right? We tell people the truth about Jesus and we tell people information. That's one, that's one thing. The next spot though is part really culturally, we've almost completely lost this whole component of disciple making, which is imitation, which is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians when he said this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I can remember in my 20s and probably even in, in, in like high school and stuff, hearing that scripture and it feeling terrifying, right? Right now, some of you, I'm saying that and you're going, oh, maybe not, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You mean I'm supposed to be living a life that if someone just followed me around and did my life the way I did my life, that they would be a really good Christian? Like, take it easy, right? I come here to hear you talk for 30 minutes so you can fix my problems and hopefully theirs too, Right? That doesn't work that way because informational exchange very rarely brings transformational existence. The life that you thought of, the person that impacted your life, they weren't a book. They weren't information. They were a life that taught you some things informationally, but they were a life that you imitated and then you innovated on what they taught you and who they were, and you've been shaped in the person that you are. If we're going to fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ, that has to be the way that we live. But that ups the ante. If you're new right now, you've never been to church before, you're brand new back, some of the stuff I'm gonna talk about today, you're gonna be like, I'm not sure about that, Darren. That's totally cool. We're so honored that you've joined us today. If you are a follower of Jesus, if no one's told you this, now we're just upgrading the education level to let you know this is the deal. Like the deal isn't that we just believe some stuff and it's for our personal enrichment. 
right? The deal is that your life is transformed by the renewing of your mind of what Jesus has done in and through you through the death, uh, through his death and resurrection and the giving of his Holy Spirit. And then you partner with him to make disciples with him. If you've been around Mercy Road for a while, you're like, yeah, Darren, I know you guys say this stuff all the time. It's because we mean it. But if that's something you're really not interested in doing, you're, you're let me, just not trying to offend anyone. If that's not something you're really interested in doing, you're not really interested in being a Christian. Right? And you're going to miss out on some of the greatest, most fulfilling, joy-bringing, challenging, amazing elements of life. Paul got this. Paul got this and he got it in a lot of cool ways. Let's jump into information. Obviously the information, he, the, the, the gospel message that he had, he went and he taught and he took it all over the world. And there's an interesting moment that happens in Acts chapter 14 where he goes out on his first missionary journey to take this information, this truth about Jesus all over the world. And he begins teaching it in all these different cities. And then he gets to the city of Lystra and, and they begin preaching the gospel and awesome stuff happens. People are getting saved and they heal this dude who was crippled at his feet and Paul prays for him. Boom, he jumps up, he's healed. The people go nuts. They're like, this is great. This guy's, and they think that Paul and Barnabas are gods. They're like, this is Zeus. And they, they start bringing stuff out to like make sacrifices and bow down and worship Paul and Barnabas. And Paul's like, listen, bros, I'm just like you guys. It's Jesus that did it. Chill out. Stop sacrificing stuff to us. And they get things calmed down, okay? But then they get things calmed down. We pick it up in, in verse 19 and 20 of Acts uh, 14. Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium uh, caught up with them and turned the fickle crowd against him. And they beat Paul unconscious, dragged him outside the town and left him for dead. Bad day, bad day, bad day. But as the disciples gathered around him, he came to and got up and he went back to the town. The next day they left with Barnabas for Derby. Here's the deal. Paul's out giving the information, teaching the gospel. He gets beat and left for dead outside the walls of the city. I don't know about you guys, but if we could, if I were, if it's like, we're gonna do it, we're gonna go tell people about Jesus, which that already makes us feel pretty uncomfortable. But if I had done that, if we had done that and then got beaten and left for dead in a ditch outside the city and woke back up, I think that would probably be a wrap on the missionary journeys for me. How about you, right? I'd have been like, I don't get paid enough for this, right? Uh, I love Jesus and all, but uh, Lord, did you see when I got beat and left for dead because of this situation? But Paul, he gets up the next morning and, and it, it, I, I wanna jump into what happens directly after this. And, and it doesn't say this in the Bible. So, so it, this is not like, thus saith the Lord. But I'm wondering if these moments when Paul came with an inch of death, that he began thinking to himself, man, if, if I actually die the next time, and I've not begun multiplying my life in other disciples, what would happen? What happens to the kingdom? Like if, if it's just me with the information, if I die, then it stops. But if I can start multiplying myself in other people, then even if I die, the information still brings transformation to the world. Because what it says here is it says, after preaching the wonderful news of the gospel there and winning a large number of followers to Jesus, they retraced their steps and revisited Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They went back after they'd gotten beaten. Now he's going back to the different places. And it says this, at each place they went, they strengthened the lives of the believers and encouraged them to go deeper in their faith. 
And they taught them, it's necessary for us to enter into the realm of God's kingdom because that's the only way we can endure our many trials and persecutions. Then it says this, Paul and Barnabas ordained leaders known as elders from among the congregations in every church they visited. After prayer and fasting, they publicly committed them into the care and the protection of the Lord of their faith. Paul got serious about making disciples that could make disciples that he left back in these cities and they changed the known world. What about you? What about us? Because like I already said, there's very little transformation without imitation. And if we've grown up around church a little bit, like at least in my generation, like the whole idea was right, is that you might get bold enough to invite somebody to church with you And if you got like a non-Christian, non-follower of Jesus friend to come to church with you, it kind of felt like the finish line, right? It was like, man, I I, I invited them. I got them to church. Now they're Pastor Darren's responsibility, right? Now they can figure out how to follow Jesus by getting the information that they're gonna give them 30 minutes every Sunday. And 30 minutes of information once a week should probably completely transform the human heart in a way that they actually know how to live like Jesus. Right, because it works in other places in life. You know what I mean? You, when you see somebody that just is, is just ripped out of their mind, you know what I mean? They're, they are the specimen of health. You know that person has, has sat around at a gym and heard someone talk about lifting weights 30 minutes a week. You know what I mean? It's amazing how it works. You're like, so you just go and they explain to you muscle growth and then you grow muscle. Correct, that's how that works, you know what I mean? So you, you go and 30 minutes, somebody talks to you about proper eating and then it's just, you just, it's a magic, poof, you're all, you're just, you're Schwarzenegger, right? No, it doesn't work like that to take care of your physical health and it doesn't work like that to take care of your spiritual health. There's information, but the transformation comes from having a life worth imitating, having someone that you can imitate in their life as they follow Jesus. Do you have someone like that in your life? Are you willing to become someone like that for someone's life? We know that Paul did this, right? In 1 Thessalonians, as he's writing back to those disciples, he says, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit in deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and the Lord. So we know this is what Paul did. Listen, follow me, do what I do as I follow Christ. You'll figure it out, we'll figure it out together. Does it mean you do it perfectly? No, it means that you're gonna have an example of what it actually looks like. It's not disinformation, it's imitation. He goes on and talks about it later on in 1 Thessalonians in chapter two, he says it like this. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, right? Not only the information, but our lives as well. If we gave you a new disciple tomorrow and came back to live with you, and we came back and checked on him in six months, what kind of Christian would we get back in six months? You say, Darren, stop asking stupid questions. It's good, right? Isn't it good to feel a little uncomfortable? If not, you might be like, oh, they look like this. Boom, I'm loving it, right? And good if that was what you thought. But these are the things I think we have to start thinking about if we're going to see 
the Great Commission move through our lives and transform our culture. That's one of the unfortunate things about having kids, isn't it? Because <laughs> they actually do live at your house and they are actually watching you live and they're actually being like, oh, I'll just imitate that. And then you see them do the stuff that you do that you don't want to do and they say, you better stop doing that. Who taught you that, right? And they go, uh, you? <laughs> Uncomfortable laughter because that's not fun. All right, Move on, Darren. Happened to me a couple of weeks ago. My oldest son, I'm not even going to tell you the story. It was a very uncomfortable moment in our house. I got mad, corrected my middle son. I was like, that's not how it's going to go down in this house. Not exactly what I said, but something like that. And then my 17-year-old son, who's got a great ability for debate, and he's just smart. It's great. He was like, oh, yeah, Dad? And then he rattled off his counterpoint to why I couldn't say what I wanted to say to my middle son because my life didn't actually back up what I had said. And I was like, you want to know who pays bills around here? <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, I'm not saying that it, I'm perfect. I'm just saying, we're not going to say, I'm just saying some, some saying, some things. And it was, it was awkward. Not even in the sermon. Let's go back to the Bible. All right, we got four minutes. We got to move quickly. We got a whole chapter of the Bible to read. We see how this imitation work with, with, with Paul because as we get into chapter 16 of, uh, of Acts, it says Paul, uh, this is in Acts 16, so 14, Acts chapter 14, they do the first missionary journey. Then there's years in between, and then in Acts 16, it's what's called Paul's second missionary journey. He goes back to check on the churches where he had been making disciples, and it happens like this. Paul first came to Derby and then Lystra. Lystra was the place he got beaten, okay? And he found a disciple there by the name of Timothy, son of a devout Christian mother and Greek father. Friends in Lystra and Iconium all said what a fine young man he was, and Paul wanted to recruit him for their mission. So Paul sees Timothy, everybody says he's awesome, and he says, I wanna invite you to imitate me as we go on this mission. Where did Timothy come from that he had a great Jewish mother and Greek father? The history of here, where, where, where did that happen? Well, let's go to chapter one of 2 Timothy where Paul's writing a letter to Timothy and figure out where did this all start for Timothy? Paul says in 2 Timothy, I, Paul, am on a special assignment with Christ carrying out God's plan laid out in the message in life by Jesus. I write this to you, Timothy the son I love so much, all the best from our God and Christ be yours. Okay, jump down to verse four, five, he says this, that precious memory triggers another. Your honest faith of in which, and what a rich faith it is, handed down from your grandmother Lois to your mother Eunice, and now in you. What we have here, it was when Paul was back in Lystra many, many years ago, where he got beat within the inch of his life, Paul or Timothy's grandmother came to faith and then she lived a life worth imitating that brought her daughter to faith and then her daughter had Timothy and then she discipled Timothy to become a great disciple. So now when Paul shows up many years down the road, everybody's going, this Timothy bro has got it going on and he goes, oh yeah, when I got here, I almost died. I led her to Christ and I put a whole system here where she discipled, he discipled. Now, okay, Timothy, imitate my life as we imitate Christ. Here's a question for you. What is your family's legacy going to look like three or four generations down the road? I had the honor to walk with my best friend through the death of his mother back in August. Uh, she had gotten sick. She got COVID, took over her lungs, and she died. Amazing, amazing woman of faith. 
And um, as we're at her celebration of life, his uncle gets up and begins talking about their family and their legacy. And he said, you know, we were talking as a family and kind of tracing back Christian roots, and, and we realized that we could go back 400 years and find strong women of faith that shaped our family. 400 years of legacy being handed down. If you're here this morning and you're the first Christian in your family, no one has followed Jesus, you're, you're number one. Let me speak this powerful potential into your life. If you will begin living a life worth imitating, where you imitate Christ and you invite people in to imitate your life as imperfect as it is, as you follow Jesus, you could be the first of a 400-year legacy of what faith does to your family tree. That's powerful, and it's real. Or, or you can binge watch a ton of stuff on Netflix and do almost none of what I've said and completely waste your life. Both options are open to you. And no one will force you to do either. My hope and my prayer is that the truth and the power of who Jesus is and what he's done in your life would compel you to live a life worth imitating. Last thought, I did this in the first service too. There's a ton of really good scripture that we got nine seconds to get to. It ain't happening. Go back and read chapter 16 of Acts. It's amazingly cool. So what happens is he invites Timothy in. Timothy's like, I'm down. Let's go on an adventure. And then through Acts 16, all this crazy cool stuff happens. Like the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, everybody gets involved in keeping them from going to like Macedonia. So like basically Timothy like learns, here's how you're here from the voice of God. Not by Paul being like, read this pamphlet. Here's some great information. Figure it out on your own. No, he learns it by him being like, dude, we had this thing happened and now I know how to listen to the voice of God because I was there and like we had this Holy Spirit thing and all of a sudden we figured it out, right? And then he figures out how do you move into a town and actually find people at peace that you could actually spread the gospel and start like micro churches and huddles and stuff that we did. He didn't get a little pamphlet so uh, this is how we did it, right? He was walking alongside Paul and they were seeing it happen and he was like, oh yeah, I know how to do it because I'm just gonna imitate what you did, Paul. And then he gets to learn this other lesson where Paul once again starts talking about Jesus and he's being bold and that's what happens. He gets beat up and thrown in prison and he's in prison and then Timothy actually gets to be there when like this crazy miracle happens happens and angels come and take off the doors of the prison. This whole thing happens and the jailer's whole family comes to faith and they begin discipling them and the whole household comes to Jesus. It's crazy. Timothy was there to see it all happen. It wasn't information. It was a transformational experience imitating the life of Paul. Yeah. That's Acts chapter 16 if we had time for it. So what's it going to look like in your life, in your neighborhood? Invite people in to imitate your life and then they'll become innovative and they'll do it differently than you did. But someday they'll be at a church service or a camp or having a cup of coffee with their next disciple and they'll talk about you. Let's say, you know, I was in a place where things were dark and, and I was going through a divorce and I didn't know how to get through it. I was at a place where I'd lost my job and I didn't have any hope. I was at a, I was at a place where my, my family, my mom had just died and, and, and I was really sad. I was at a place where I had no purpose and direction in my life. I didn't know anything. I was just wasting my life one party after the next. And then fill in the blank with your name 
came into my life and they said that this man, Jesus, transformed their life. And then they invited me to to spend a lot of time with them. and, And they said I could just imitate their life and learn how to follow Jesus. And now I'm here to do the same for you. And then fast forward to when Jesus restores all things and we're all together in heaven and spend thousands of years telling story after story and hearing story after story of how your life made a ripple effect to change the course of human history. We want to make it as easy as we can for you. And so uh, if we're going to live a life worth imitating, we have to imitate Christ. And uh, it's his life that we imitate that gives us a life worth imitating. And so we're going to start 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church uh, tomorrow. And there's a a prayer and fasting guide that's been put together for you. You can get it as you walk out in the checkout center, uh, whatever it's called thing out there. Okay. And you can get it and take it home. And if you've never fasted before, right, we're going to help you walk through it. So then you can learn to fast and to pray. And then as you learn it, even if you do it terribly, what then you can do is actually then teach someone else, right? Because anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. And so you get going with it and you learn and you grow and you invite people in and then you keep moving along. So if we're going to imitate Jesus, right? So we have something worth imitating for others. We're gonna start with 21 days of prayer and fasting. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for the invitation that you have given us into transformation. What an amazing privilege it is that you actually want us to, to be so close to you that we can imitate your life. And God, it feels um, really overwhelming to think that that we could actually invite someone into our life and, and as, as stumbling and imperfect as we are in following you, that, that somehow our life could actually make a difference. But God, I just pray that you would give people vision and hope that that's true. Father, if there are people here that have been through a huddle and they knew they were supposed to launch a huddle after they were done with huddle and they just haven't and it's been years, inspire them to start. If there's somebody here, Father, that they just want that, they want somebody to pour into their life like that, I pray they would get signed up and they would get into a discipleship hutter here at Mercy Road. God, I pray that we would live lives worth imitating. And so your kingdom would come and your will would be done and lives would be transformed. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus.